to Get Animated, the anime watch-along podcast with the host of Get Played. I'm self-proclaimed me, 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 beam. Heather Ann Campbell. Mine's related. I'm self-proclaimed painful contact lens, Nick Weiger. Mine's also related. And I'm self-proclaimed beam, beam, let's fucking go, beam, baby. <laughs> Anna Padaka. Hello, everyone. Man loves beams. I love beams. I was so excited when there was a beam. Um, Welcome back to the premiere anime podcast where we're talking about mid-2000s mega hit, The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, where we have finally exited the Endless Eight and have begun our ascent towards the conclusion, the finale of the series and the subsequent film, The Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya. Uh, and this week we're talking about three episodes, The Sigh of Haruhi Suzumiya Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3, also known as Episodes 20, 21, and 22. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it, we, it's, it's been a long journey, guys. I'm really glad to be on the other side of The Endless Eight, having gone through it. I'm glad that I've experienced it, and I'm glad I don't have to watch any more of it. The these episodes are, though they're not quite a return to normalcy because they are all covering the same sort of. I mean, they're not they're not structured in the same way, but they're all kind of like dealing with the same, you know, the 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 same kind of small thing, uh, which is the production of this film, which starts the entire series. Yeah, it's a nice full circle for the entire show to be going out on the making of that insane classic first episode. Great that first being episode. said, I guess I'll save my comments for when we're actually talking about the episode because we usually cover a little bit more ground before we do. That's true. And part of that ground that we cover is we sort of ask everyone collectively what we've been weebin'. What we've been weebin'. Hi, it's me, Ash Ketchum, and I'm going to keep showing up until you motherfuckers figure out how to get rid of me. Matt we, Apodaca. we like yeah, we, having we you like around. you. It's cool. You're a celebrity. You're some would say a hero. Well, you do sort of do bad stuff. You but do like, bad stuff. You're sort of like you. You know how sometimes you like somebody might do bad stuff, no, but like, their friends like stick by them. Yeah, it's it's kind of that sort of thing. It's kind of like that. <laughs> I want to make something clear. You guys aren't my friends. Matt oh, Apodaca. Wow. I, <laughs> Harsh. Okay. Real fuck you for Mash. Of of the of the first of the bad things that you've done, that was the worst. <laughs> you being mean to us. Well, I, I'm I'm not gonna apologize. I get my lessons from from the American political system. Double down, double down, Yikes. double down again. Matt Apodaca. I choose you. Okay, I'm really glad I'm going first because I have an absolutely, uh, I have a monumental update. Whoa. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, what? Last week, I teased this on the show that I would be going to go see a film and talk about it next week. This oh, is yeah. that time. You you saw um, 
I went and saw The Sound of Freedom. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw your gears turning. You couldn't remember what it was called. I was like, I'll help Heather. <laughs> is, it, is it The Sorrow and the Pity? No, no. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. something else. <laughs> well, that would be the sequel probably. No. no um, I went and saw my very first Studio Ghibli movie, my first Miyazaki film, Princess Mononoke in wow. theaters. Fuck yes. And was now, it subbed or dubbed? Subbed was, or dubbed? It was subbed. Fuck yes. So I was I was locked in. I had Oof. to be locked in <laughs> to watch. I mean, I, I I feel like a lot of the ones, they offer the dubbed, but I, I got the subbed. And uh, a lot of the anime movies I've seen in theaters all subbed. Um, but this, I didn't know what it was about. I just knew that it, everyone likes it and that it's it's supposed to be pretty good. Somehow, still undersold. It fucking rips. It is Hell so yeah. fucking good. Yeah, it's... it's like so like beautiful looking, and the story is beautiful. And like, I didn't know it was violent. <laughs> oh like, yeah, it's not even just like a little violent. But it's like gory. It's like it's got like be, there's multiple beheadings, and they're all awesome. Um, it's, it, it rules. Uh, and now that I like, you know how. Uh, animal like predators are their eyes are tuned to see their prey like more than the other things like if they're in hunting mode or whatever yeah i think that's true i don't know if that's 100 percent how it works but in my mind that's how it works yeah, like if you see works. a lizard you can go see like a bunch of lizards kind of like because you're like okay now i'm uh, aware of how fast they move and what they're doing now that i've seen the movie the Nick's poster, I'm like very aware of it now. Like I'm oh, just hell yeah. like I've seen it I've seen Nick's tableau a thousand times, but now I'm just like very aware that that's Princess Mononoke. That or that's from Princess Mononoke and I, I I loved it. Um I it has some jokes. It's like it's like it's all of it's good. It's it's uh, it's it's really fun. Like I, I I loved it and there's a specific moment. We, first of all, at some point, we should do an episode about it because it fucking rules. Like, I, I don't think anybody would mind three people who've seen a thing talking about how great it is. Um, but it, it, like, it really flew by. I just had no idea. I didn't know that it was um, based on, like, uh, like, Japanese folklore of any kind. I just thought it was, like, a movie. And I was like, that's so cool. I, I, I loved it. And uh, it was kind of nasty, the fucking... That little, that whatever that is, that like demon. It also sort of reminded me of uh, Breath of the Wild, kind of. I but, think Breath of the Wild, yes, directly pulls from Princess Mononoke. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, like the and it's sort of tears like the whatever that thing is that gets on you. First of all, his hand. Yep. Yes. No, that one hundred percent. That's like a direct reference. Yeah, and and uh, you know. Uh, Naushka, which is another Ghibli film, is is and and Miyazaki's like first like proper uh, like thing that he considers like all his own is also features uh, sequences uh, directed by Hideaki Anno, Nausicaa. That's correct. Yes. Wow. And and the but that one seems to have a like that seems like Tears of the Kingdom seems to take a lot of inspiration from that specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Matt. I'm I'm really glad you saw it. I'm glad you got to see it in the theater. I mean, it's just like it's it's they're all streaming. Fucking, it's a masterpiece. Or a lot of them are streaming, you know. But like something about seeing that on the big screen, I felt was important, and I, I'm really glad that I went and did it. And like they're still showing some uh, Studio Ghibli movies um, throughout the summer, and I might try to go catch a couple more. I know they're showing Spirited Away. 
at some point, and I think they're showing Howl's Moving Castle, and I, that one looks really interesting to me. I I, I don't know what the those are uh, both fucking awesome. I mean, yeah. Spirited Away, like people generally consider to be. I I like I like Mononoke better, but yeah, people consider too. it. To, it's like I think certainly in the West, Spirited Away is considered to be the better film. Mm-hmm. Um and. Uh, you know, I think if you were going to be like, hey, animation should have a representation in like the top 10 movies of all time. I think that's like the that's like the candidate. Yeah. But the. Uh, but uh, Howl's Moving Castle is is fucking rad. And that's one where on, so re- cool. on rewatch, I appreciated it more. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that, I'm, I'm really glad you saw it. I, I mean, the it was Roger Ebert's four star rave about this movie that inspired me to see it in the first place back mm-hmm. in like, you know, whatever, 1989, whenever it was released in the US. And uh, yeah, one of, one of my favorite movies. That's the I thing. Have a too, theory. That... Oh, go for it. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that um, the first Studio Ghibli Miyazaki film that you see is permanently your favorite Studio Ghibli Miyazaki film. Makes mm-hmm. sense. And I think that the reason that so many people love Spirited Away is that it was the first Miyazaki film with any sort of like cultural um, infusion. Like, like you could go to a theater and see Spirited Away in the United States. Yes. Whereas like when Mononoke came out, there were very few theaters showing it. It was not a huge wide release, even though it was like Disney's like first proper dubbed release of, and I think the script was done by uh, Neil Gaiman. Um, But... I, that's my theory on why Spirited Away is la- like heralded and lauded so much over Mononoke is I think that's the one that people saw first. But now that mm-hmm. Apodaca has seen this one first, he joins me in it being my favorite Miyazaki film. Will anything dislodge it as he watches the rest of the canon? That will be interesting to track. It's not better than Shrek 2, but it's pretty good. Just kidding. <laughs> I really like, like, the thing that I've, that I've come to appreciate more as I've gotten older about Miyazaki's works is just how much it's just, it, it lives in the moral gray areas of, you know, not, not condemning, like, a Lady Eboshi. Like, she, like, in a Disney, it's amazing that Disney released this movie because if Disney had its way and could, could rework this thing, they would have made her like just like a straight up villain uh, yeah. who gets her come up into the end and 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 you know then uh, and it would end in a conventional love story instead of kind of like the ambiguous way it it it, it wraps things up uh, but instead of Lady Eboshi is like you know both a she's like a symbol of modernization you know it's like okay this is this is a this is a woman in power in a in a society that's been. Uh, previously patriarchal and she's yeah there's some ruination to the environments happening but what's happening as part of that is that these marginalized people the lepers have some sort of employment and purpose and a and community the, you know and the people the women from the brothel that she and the women from the brothel yeah she puts into the um one of my favorite parts yeah fucking great great song there also i mean we we talked about this off pod but at the moment, you called out this particular moment that I've been thinking about a lot just because it was so cool. Uh, there's a fight where somebody shoots an arrow at him and he fucking like just catches it and then shoots it back at them immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it fucking rules. It's uh, it's like John Wick getting a knife thrown at him and then him throwing the knife through somebody's fucking skull. It rips like that. It was just awesome. What's also great about that moment of animation is the tiniest bit of tremor in his hand when he grabs the arrow out of the air. Like you can yes. feel him catch it. Yes. 
It's and visceral. It's fucking great. Something that, that I'll say too about seeing it in the theaters, I feel like I feel like a lot of people there had seen it before. So they weren't really reacting to the same stuff that I was reacting to because I was like, oh, <laughs> like really, really excited, like at, at, at new information. And uh, they were just kind of like, you know, cheering or being like, yay, like I, it's a thing that I recognize or whatever. But I was like, oh! <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I, I, I loved seeing it. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to go see some more. It's uh, it's interesting. Like uh, the. Mononoke Hime, which is the Japanese title, translates to like spirit princess or or demon princess. It's kind of mm-hmm. like you know, it's but that when when they localized it, they were like, well, we won't translate Mononoke. We won't release this as because if it was called like spirit princess, I feel like it would have a different connotation in the West. Uh, so it's called Princess Mononoke. So I think a lot of people go in and saying like, oh, the main character is named Princess Mononoke because that's something yeah. to, they title a Disney movie. But you know, again, it's. Everything's more complica- uh, complex than that. I'm really glad you saw it. That, that's it's li- yeah. again. I'm, I'm repeating myself, um, but it's yeah. one of my favorite movies. I love. I love, I love when Aboshi is like testing the guns on the roof. Yeah, and she's mm-hmm. like, it's a little. It's still a little heavy. It's still a little bit heavy. It needs to be lighter for the women. I'm like, God damn, this fucking movie is so good. And then the way the fucking deer god looks, fucking Ooh. freaky as hell. I love Great it. looking do- gods. So good. So so great, but anyway, that's it. That's it for me. Wow, Padaka, I'm really happy for you. That's I'm awesome. happy for you too, buddy. It was so good. I loved it. Wow, wow. Nick, would you like to go next? I know that's not my job, but maybe I'd offer it to you. Wow, thanks, Heather. You're welcome. Sure, I'm, I'm sure looking around. I'm like looking around for Ash, like he's in my room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I watched a something very different tonally. Uh, and you know, I think it at in terms of level of of artistic esteem uh, than Princess Mononoke, which is this work of art. I watched a very base crash show. I've watched five episodes of it, which is what's been released so far, uh, called Zom One Hundred Bucket List of the Dead. And <laughs> having the time of my fucking life. The show is so wow. fun. It's so ridiculous. Uh, it's written by Haro Aso, uh, the manga was, who's the same writer as Alice in Borderland. Uh, and it's basically the the premise of it. If you if anyone wants to watch this show, first off, it's because of the way it's licensed, it's on like Hulu and Netflix and Crunchyroll, so it it's probably available on a platform you have uh, already. And it's it like they watch the first two episodes before you decide if you're in and out because the first episode is basically all set up. It's one of those series, uh, and then the second episode kind of gets into the fun of it. Although the first episode is also fun. Basically, what it is is there's a the the lead character uh, Akira is a he works at a job that they keep calling an exploitative you know corporate job an exploitative you know he's just like he's there at all hours he's the classic salary man uh, I think he's like 24 years old and this is like his first proper job and it's just like he just his soul is crushed so much of the first episode is him like openly contemplating suicide like he's standing in front of a train going by and he's like if this wall wasn't there I wouldn't have to go to work anymore um and uh you know and so it's like he's really in in dire straits emotionally 
And then a zombie apocalypse happens and he is liberated from his job and he's so happy. And so basically, basically what happens from there is that he makes a bucket list of all of all the things he's ever wanted to do in his life and that he couldn't do because of his job and because of college before that. Uh, and then he's so he's just like surviving through this. A zombie apocalypse but it's it's also like he's a consumer so he just wants to like like get beer and drink it and then like play video games on the biggest tv possible like he's still like that part of capitalism has not been uh you know uh, uh like, like is still so internalized so it's just like a it's just like he's just kind of on free play mode uh the things that i like about it first off it's really well animated uh it's 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 legitimately funny like makes me laugh out loud they they did a thing which i think because of it it's it's dealing with so much zombie like just gore mm -hmm. they added an element where blood will come out in all different colors kind of like jackson pollocky uh which just kind of like lightens the mood a little bit so and and it looks really awesome so like you, you know a zombie will be shooting out both like red blue orange and uh and pink blood wow. uh, all at once um and you know blood splatters on clothing will be reflected in the same sort of way it's just a nice little bit of style and then another thing and this is this is the sort of thing where i was watching i was like oh man this is right up matt's alley uh one of the supporting characters who i won't spoil his exact connection uh, but you meet early on uh his like kind of character game is that uh once per episode he finds a reason to get completely naked like just out of nowhere <laughs> to watch this because just you describing it is very yeah. funny to me it sounds yeah. awesome yeah i really like uh, look it's it's uh it's dumb i think it's 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 gleefully dumb i think it's aware of how like stupid it is but it is it is so, it has such a great sense of fun to it uh and uh i just yeah watched five episodes and and loved every minute of it so some 100 bucket list of the dead uh that's what, I, what i've been weaving apparently they made a live action movie too uh which oh. I I'm not gonna watch until I finish the anime because I you know I don't want to I don't know how, how much it spoils but um I might check that out I think I don't know if that's well reviewed or not that's uh, uh, Heather how about yourself I no that's that's awesome that's that sounds great yeah, yeah I mean I think you'd like it out. too it's really fun it looks great it's on Crunchyroll it's on Crunchyroll and Netflix and Hulu oh it's like wow on everything yeah um so I've done two weaving things this week um but i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna talk I'm, I'm gonna talk more about vinland saga next week this week i'd like to talk about the makanai cooking for the maiko house which is a netflix live action tv show about uh two young girls who enter a geisha house in kyoto and one of them becomes uh like starts on the path of becoming a geisha mm -hmm. and one of them ends up becoming the house chef for the geisha house and i just finished this show on netflix uh this last week and i was like man i hope they make a second season this is so satisfying it's so sweet there's like no fucking conflict at all on this show and i looked it up and i discovered that it is an adaptation of a manga and an anime oh, it's a live wow. action manga anime adaptation which I had no idea, like the reason I was watching it is because, you know, my wife and I went to Kyoto for our uh, honeymoon um, and uh, became lightly obsessed with Kyoto and then wanted to like sort of propel that feeling, that energy forward as best we could. So we looked up, you know, Japanese TV shows on Netflix, like something to, to 
to feel, to, to continue that, that feeling, that good feeling, um, and found the Mach and I cooking for the Myco house. And I can't, it's got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. I can't really recommend it to our audience base here on the show because truly it is just sweet. Hmm. It is like the gentlest, hmm. sweetest possible show. Um, a bunch of all of our listeners are fucking sick fucks. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't handle how sweet it is. <laughs> Look, I, I don't I, like it's, it's, oh, it's a good show. If what I've, if if what I've described sounds good to you, like each episode sort of also features a single recipe. Mm-hmm. Which is fucking great because you like watch this young girl like make the best looking chicken you've ever seen in your whole fucking life. Um, and if all of that sounds exciting to you, then you can watch the show and you, it will be it will completely fucking deliver. But if you're like, oof, this uh, this sounds like it's not um, something I would enjoy. It's uh, it has no no combat. For example, it's got no combat in it. There's um, no naked guy. There's not even any backstabbing. It's just everybody learning about each other. Like, there's no, wow. like, politics. It's just like, hey, if you're going to uh, attend this event on the end of the week, you have to learn how to do this dance. Okay, how do I learn it? And then she learns it. And you're like, okay. Like, one of the gay... Sh- the, I would say that the, the only... I don't know. The only thing about the show that is specifically strange or or sticks out to me is that one of the geisha is obsessed with zombie movies and like mm. wa- like always wants to see zombie movies when they're in town. But otherwise it's just like sweet people eating good food, having like a, a like they're like, "Oh, it was really hard today learning this dance." And then the girl's like, "Well, you know, in my town, when something is hard, you have this kind of cream soup. And then she gives it and they're like, wow, this does make me feel better. And then it's credits. <laughs> that sounds awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll talk about Vinland Saga next week because I have been um, ravenously consuming that show also. Wow. But I wanted to give a, a, a nice shout out to um, The Makanai Cooking for the Myco House on Netflix. I, just just because you mentioned that it's 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 based off of a manga and you didn't realize it, I I didn't realize that's also the case with Old Boy, Old Boy the the Korean what? live action movie is an adaptation of a of a Japanese manga originally. What? Yeah, and they they changed a lot. Like it's like more just takes kind of the 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 core premise of it. Uh, I hope they didn't uh, add stuff because if the stuff oh. that they added. No, they added some stuff. <laughs> oh. They 100% added some stuff. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually curious and read it, about reading the the manga just to see like all the differences, but Yeah, I would be interested to read it and see if I don't feel the worst I've ever felt. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if in like in like 20 years like a full 30% of the media we consume will be based on a manga because like mm. there's so yeah. much of it and there's so many incredible ideas that it just feels like in an industry that is obsessed with IP, you could be like, oh, I've got some intellectual property. There's this show or there's, the, there's this unknown manga about a guy who's got a raccoon for a hand. Let's adapt it. Yeah. I'd watch it. 
I think we'll also probably see some reverse engineering. Like, I think if you wanted to be really savvy about it, you could probably, because I know they did that with that, that with Cowboys and Aliens, right? That was like a script that they turned into a limited run comic, and then they mm. were sold it as like, hey, look, it's an adaptation of this comic. Mm. Uh, I You could do a same sort of thing with just sort of like, hey, there's this mo- this manga, but the manga is actually based on what you mm. were originally, uh, like, you, what, you, what you were planning to make into an adaptation anyway. Uh before we before we move on, I feel like I think I, I have I told you guys this. The first time I watched Old Boy was um, Christmas Eve, two thousand fourteen. <laughs> 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 I was like alone, like everybody else had gone to sleep waiting for Santa, and I was That's like, you so know what? I'm, I just I, I was like not sleeping great at that time. Uh, like I was, pro- I would stay up too late. I was like, oh, it's like. It's only midnight. Why don't I pop on a movie? Uh, and I would, uh, I would just watch whatever. And I, I picked Old Boys. Like yeah, everyone says, Old Boys good. I don't know what this is about. And then it, it's Christmas, and I'm like, this is. I've never felt worse in my life. <laughs> like this is awful. <laughs> it's really good, but I was like, oh Jesus Christ, this is. Oof. Especially because it was marketed as, and it predates Taken, but like like Taken, you know what I mean? It was yeah. or as marketed as, or like a John Wick, like you mentioned. It was marketed as like, here's like this extreme sort of like badass sort of yeah. movie, you know? It, it was kind of like a presented as a as a bro action thriller, and it's, it's you know, obviously got a lot more depth than that. No, it's not, and it's it's, not it's in theaters. I wonder if I should. Uh... There was a remake, wasn't again? there? There was like an American remake. Mike of Lee re- uh, directed it, and with uh, with Josh with Josh Brolin and uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, and it's supposedly I would I've never watched it. I probably will never watch it, but I've heard it's dog shit. Yeah, I don't know why you would do it. <laughs> it's like the first one is like technically perfect. It's disturbing and awful, but it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. What's his name? In uh, old boy. Uh, it's uh it's day, right? Hmm. Is it day so? I think so, yeah. And actually the first time I tried to watch Old Boy, I accidentally put on the curious case of Benjamin Button. Oh, Day Sue is his name. Hmm. Sorry, 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 Matt. I I, I stepped on your joke. It's oh, okay. Day Sue. But what did you what's think the, about that? What's the joke? Uh, that was good. <laughs> Wait, though no, like honestly. Cause in, in the curious case of Benjamin Button, he ages backwards so he's born old oh my god so see it's actually quite layered and it's actually like a pretty it's actually you've heard it now and you understand the context you have to i feel like i don't do this for a lot of my jokes you have to admit that's really good yeah he can't he turned it it was like a movie also about an old boy yeah no i i understand now I like it truly flew right over my head. I don't know that I'd call it a joke, but it's definitely I don't know. I think it's a, it's a, it's it like a, a what do you call that? It's like a clever like repackaging a of information? <laughs> a witticism? Yeah, like a witticism. Hmm. There you go. A bone mo? Kind of a bone mo. Sort of like what Marge doesn't want to do, am I right? Oh, <laughs> I don't watch The Simpsons, and I, I, I know that that's maybe weird. <laughs> Mo, Mo, Mo is very Marge. horny for Marge. Mo is he is. It's it's yeah. The bartender. It's like, Mo yeah. the bartender wa- wants to uh, woo Marge, and anytime Homer is potentially out of the picture, he's like making a, making his move. What? He's a bad friend. That's like a plot point on The Simpsons. 
Yeah, it's like kind of like a running gag. It's like Mo is very yeah. They don't hit it all the time, but sometimes really in a Mo episode, he's gonna be like, and he calls her Midge. Yeah, he calls her Midge and wants to move in on this territory. We're not talking about the Simpsons. We're talking about the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. (laughs) And we're talking specifically about the sigh of Haruhi Suzumiya. So Uh, we got the art festival coming up. Yeah, I'm going to get some complaints out of the way. Okay, great. Um, So I don't like these episodes. And I mm-hmm. now that I'm now that I've 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 watched them again, I'm like, oh, this is why season two didn't stick in my head beyond uh the endless eight and just the sort of <laughs> baffling experience that that was. Like I I think these episodes are boring. And I think it's because they're prequels to such a it's it's literally the the um the adventures of uh Mikuru is such a bombshell that it might as well be Star Wars. And then these episodes are Phantom Menace through with with some with some minor changes, Phantom Menace through Revenge of the Sith, where you're seeing things that you already kind of knew with a little bit more explanation. And also that sequence is spread out over many episodes whereas the episodes in the first season generally are like one-offs right so those are my complaints i also did not have a great response to these episodes i and in fact i texted both of you because i was watching them i was taking a train back and forth to san diego and as part of the that trip i was watching um some anime on my ipad and I reached a point where I was like, I don't think I can watch these on the train anymore because it's like upsetting. I, look, I feel like I, be, I feel self-conscious with other people looking over my shoulders because so much of it is like specifically, you know, and, and, and Mikuru's torment is like a big running thing on the show. But it's like it's really pushed and and to a point as which we'll get to, I think, maybe in, in next week's episode, like it's pushed to uh, like a certain point. Um where it's like it's it 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 just it's it's not just me like I get it's fine I that depict something that's mean spirited depict bully, bullying I like I I get it I get the point that it's making but you see so much of it I just found it like like a bummer to watch like I wasn't enjoying myself the thing that I didn't necessarily love about these is that we just got out of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. And then the thing that they show us next isn't that different <laughs> than no. we've already seen. Like, it's like just sort of like repackaged information. I was like, okay, so like, are there no new episodes? Like, are <laughs> like season two has like three new episodes in it. The ones yeah. that came before <laughs> Endless Eight, Endless Eight, and then what this. And it's like, I didn't dislike them fully, but I was just sort of annoyed that we were sort of treading through water we've been through kind of already there is i think if episodes 20 through 22 are compacted into one episode Mm -hmm. yeah then that would be like okay we're on the other side of endless eight here we go again things are paced up a little bit but it's really drawn out there's also fewer jokes like the show is general like the first season is super funny and this these episodes are not funny and we've already seen so Dear listener, um, it's it's uh, 
It's the annual school cultural festival. Uh, Haruhi is pissed off about a, uh, a questionnaire she sees in homeroom. She's also pissed off about a movie that she watched the night before. And so she comes up with the idea that they're going to, the SOS brigade is going to shoot a movie and she's going to direct, write it, et cetera. She produce it, the whole thing. Um, we see her bring uh, Kyon and Mikuru to the stores that we saw featured as commercials in the very first episode of The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, broadcast order. Um, we see her negotiate for uh, free equipment by promising commercials. that the, They'll shoot commercials as part of this short film that they're going to make. Um, but that's all information we already knew. Like, it's not like you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, none of this is a surprise. So she goes to a camera shop, she gets a camera. She goes to an airsoft model gun shop, she gets a couple of model guns. Um, she's bringing along Mikuru because Mikuru is pretty and pointing out how pretty she is to the store owners. Um, and that's, I mean, that's pretty much like the only other interesting, maybe semi-remarkable moment in this is the way that this first episode, the 20th episode ends, which is that Mikuru is in the middle of talking <laughs> when, when they cut her off. And then episode 21 picks up with her speaking again. Yes. Uh, um. But like, yeah, I mean... We already knew how this worked, right? Like yes, all of this is in the voiceover that Kion gives. Right. It, it it's all it's there's there isn't new information and you know that like like I'm not opposed to a prequel. I'm certainly not opposed to doing things out of order, which is the whole thing this this episode this series does, especially in season one. Uh, but I I think there's just like so little of 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 any sort of narrative imports that's that's communicated in this episode you know we we start the front end there's so much of the first i think like basically the first half of the episode or a big part of it is them in the club room just talking and part of it is like haruhi training mikuru how to be a clumsy maid i guess the, i guess the thing that's happening there is we're starting to see kion start to offer some resistance for the first time or or like you know he he, he doesn't do a lot of standing up for himself or telling haruhi even if he disagrees with her, like telling it to her face. So like the point where he's like trying to get her to spill hot tea onto Keon, he's kind of like, like back the fuck off a little bit. So maybe we're seeing that, but it, I think it just, there it's is, so measured with its pacing. There's also one excellent joke in the club room, which mm -hmm. is when Harhi uh, pulls out the whiteboard and points to the whiteboard and goes, I'm going to direct this. And Kion's like, there's nothing on the fucking whiteboard. What is she, what are we supposed to be looking at? It's <laughs> a great joke. Yeah. Um, so the second episode of this run uh, involves uh, Harhi like giving everybody their roles in the, in the show, in the, this short film they're making. And, uh, and assigning their character traits, like, you know, you're going to be a, a, a psychic, you're going to be a, um, like a sort of witch. Like she's assigning, she's giving them these roles that are very, very, very similar to um, their actual existences in the, 
in the continuity of the show we are watching. And this is something I had never considered until this run through of the series. By the by the third episode, the Sai of Haruhi Suzumiya part three, um, Haruhi starts affecting reality sort of in real time by, yes. by, by she, like we've seen Mikuru have like a, like she's like Mikuru beam and you see like lightning effects in uh, the short film that, pr- that premieres the entire series. But when she does it during the filming, she's burning through Yuki's hand in just really grotesque. She's like burning laser marks through Yuki's hand because Haruhi wants her to have a beam. And so she gets a beam, which makes me wonder if this is the moment where Haruhi makes all of the characters in the show, both in the past and the future, the people that they are that we've come to witness in the show. Mm. Because she, uh, ca- go ahead. No, I, I was going to say you're 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 correct. I, I, I finish your theory because I you're, you're what you're going to say is I think going somewhere. Yeah, well, I I just I like I think that you know when she's like you're going to be a psychic student. I think that is the moment that he becomes psychic in the past and in the present and in the mm. future. Mm. And I think that the reason the endless eight exist in this season is to teach us and also the fact that the first season is nonlinear is to teach us that time and causality don't matter to Haruhi. So maybe when she's saying you're going to be like this and you're going to be like this, when she's casting this film, she's literally creating the characters that we've been with the entire show. Sure. Cause also there's the, there's the theme and a lot of this comes from um, Koizumi of just like, we need to make it clear or our reality is going to break. If Haruhi doesn't have a clear demarcation between the film's reality and actual reality. Uh, and to your point of what you were talking about, where the, the we're, we're kind of seeing Haruhi is at her most powerful here where like, you know, like even with the endless eight, I think there was a lot of inference from the characters that something was wrong, but no direct evidence. There's like, there's, she's doing something, but we don't really know for sure. Uh, and here we're just witnessing it, like to your point in real time, like just like, oh, a beam just shot out of her eye and burned a hand. Like, that's like, like I just saw something supernatural happen in front of me. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing Harui's, a godlike, you know, abilities to kind of accelerate in intensity. I, yeah, it's also the, I think the other thing in this episode and, and this episode versus uh, part two, the Saibar Harui Suzumi part two versus part one, we're really starting to, to push her, you know, making Mikuru uncomfortable and, uh, and bullying her. She's in the maid costume, which we've seen before, but she's really like, like uh, distressed by it. Yeah. This is, it feels like Haruhi is pushing, like she she subconsciously hates Mikuru because she is so fucking scared that Kion likes her. Mm, sure. And the, and the more that she assaults and attacks Mikuru, the more that then prompts Kion. She, like Haruhi is in a way 
the the sort of creator of her own distress. Because the more she attacks Mikuru, the more Kion stands up for Mikuru, which is then confirmation for Haruhi that Kion right. likes Mikuru. And if she would just like lay off and treat Mikuru like a person, which I guess none of none of them are people to her because she's an insane narcissist. <laughs> but like if she if she would just chill out, then Kion wouldn't stand up for Mikuru, which would then also create sort of a feedback loop of chilling out Haruhi. But this gets dark. Like it really does. It's a bummer. She 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 forces Mikuru into an outfit and it used to be sort of played for jokes like, oh, she's in this sort of like bunny girl outfit in the first season. And she's like, oh, I really wish I wouldn't have to wear this in this. These episodes, she's like, can I please have a coat? You know, like it's really yes. it's not it's it's uncomfortable. It's not funny. Yeah, I agree. It's it's like a it's like a notch too far. I, I that said, speed of costumes, Yuki in the witch outfit looks rad. Yeah, Yuki in the witch Love outfit that looks fucking great. It's really cool. I think I think witches are cool. Like the way witches look are always really it's like a fun look. It's such an iconic look. Witches are look. cool. Love a witch. Love a classic witch. Can I can I ask a question? Because uh, as someone who's ever been to Japan, uh the because there's a there's a lot with model guns here, and it's making me think of like that's a big element in Persona 5 Royal. Are there just are model gun shops a huge thing in Japan or like are people really into those? Because it obviously can't get real guns with the ease you can in America. Um, I don't know how big they are, but they are. They aren't hard to find. OK, like it's it's like I wouldn't say that an Army Navy surplus store is a big American thing. But if you go to a, a city, you can find Army Navy sur surplus stores, right? Yes. In the same way, like if you go to Akihabara, you're going to see uh, airsoft guns. If you go to Nakano Broadway in Japan, you're going to see airsoft guns. So it's like if you're looking for them, but like regular people don't have them. Sure, right. It's still a hobbyist enthusiast thing. I, I think it also, another, another sort of appropriate like parallel would be um paintball oh like, sure okay like paintball is yeah. not like everywhere but if you are looking for a paintball place you can find a paintball place there's a few in los angeles i do like you know again i, I think we're we're kind of on the same page and, I, and matt i want to get your take too of like these episodes aren't quite working for us the same way but i'm like i do think overall it, it does explore the the premise of the show well which is like there's something terrifying about a god who doesn't quite understand or even know they're exerting their powers yeah you know that's like not uninteresting like it's yeah. like that's like that isn't a, a unique idea i kind of wish i didn't need i don't know if i needed to see how they made the movie i know they made the movie and i know that that, that's like, maybe part, it. You know what I mean? Sorry, that, that that's maybe the, the big point. Go on. Yeah. Like I, I know that they made the movie, so I can infer that it was tough, but like we saw them kind of because like we saw the movie and then we saw them talking about making a movie. Like it wasn't there an earlier episode in season one where they sort of not necessarily like exactly as in depth as what we're seeing now, but I feel like they covered this a little bit. <laughs> like I, I like this is not like 
I don't know. It's not exciting to me to see them make the movie. I, I, I already know that they did it. I also think that there's like, I think it's in one of these three episodes. Cause the truth is I watched all five of these, the finale episodes all at once. So forgive mm-hmm. me if I've got my notes a little mixed up, but the direct moment where Haruhi's like, I wish that there were doves instead of pigeons. Like when she's like, I want to, I want to like sort of borrow the visual vocabulary of John Woo and put doves all around Mikuru uh, in this shot. And then Koizumi brings Haruhi back to this temple where they've, they've shot this sequence and the pigeons are doves. Yes. I, th- I think that all of these, because we know that the adventures of, of Mikuru ends up okay, and because we know that uh, Someday in the Rain takes place far in the future of like beyond, beyond the actual um, uh, cultural festival, we know that nothing is going to happen in these episodes. Whereas I feel like if they had been, if you're going to heighten these moments of, of Ari's mastery of the universe and, and make it a threat, then I think you have to put these episodes after everything we've seen canonically or chronologically. Like you have to be like, Oh no, is she losing control of her powers? Are they getting Mm, too big for her to manage? How are they going to rein her in? But because we've already seen so many episodes that take place after this, you're like, Oh, I'm, it doesn't, they are going to figure it out. She is going to rein them in. It also, the fact that live alive takes place chronologically after this also means that the drama between Kion and Haruhi is not as provocative to me because I already know that he comes around on her. Yeah. And I, I'm sort of thinking of the broader strokes of the series. Cause like, and this is probably something we'll talk about in the next episode, but there's two ways to watch this, right? Or one way. If you're Heather, uh, there's only one way. What the fuck? Come on. Broadcast order and then the chronological order. And I'm. I think, yeah, I think we have to talk about it in the next one, because I think there's something interesting to. What exactly is going on here? Uh, I there is there is a running joke that I like in this episode and in some of the other episodes where it's just like the. Haru, he keeps talking about different awards they're going to win. Just like, like, come on, we're we're at this rate, we'll never win a Golden Globe. And then later on, she had, like, she's like, she's like, you want to win the Palm Door, don't you? Like, she's yeah. always like <laughs> the highest aspirations for this thing is totally confident. It that is There's something a- funny about her that yeah, that she's just like, well, we're for surely going to win like the biggest prize you could possibly get. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival for sure. <laughs> There's a moment in an anime that I love called Honey and Clover uh, where a character leaves to, I think, work on special effects. Uh, like they, they they take a job working on special effects and they kind of disappear from the plot. And the next time the characters see him, he's winning an Oscar in a group of special effects <laughs> artists. And they're like, holy shit, what the fuck? That's really funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I want, I, 
the first season of this show is so good that I want to watch this and love these episodes, but I really, the, the dramatic tension is lost. The comedic payoffs are just absent and the abuse is like the volume on the abuse is really turned up. It's like, and it's, it's building towards an explosion. Like it's clear that, that it is eating away at Kion, but like, it's still, I don't know. It's, there's a lot, there's not a lot to love about these episodes. What do we love? I love that when Haruhi jams a fucking contact into Mikuru's eye without her permission, that Mikuru's eye is tearing up constantly. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's a nice animated detail. And that um, I like that we see why in the adventures of Mikuru Asahina, why uh, Yuki charges Mikuru and attacks her. And it's Th- to those, save her life. That made me laugh when it, whenever it happened. Yeah, and and For just tackling her. It's also <laughs> yeah. really, really well animated. Like it's yes. yeah. it's lush and beautiful, and the shot choices are incredible. And there's tons and tons of actual movement in betweens. I guess is what you would call them on these on these sequences. Like there's, it's not just key poses. There's a lot of in between work. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's a shame that it's just not. It's not a fucking hammer on a nail. It's like, ugh. it's that feeling. Ugh. I think I think a big part of it too is, and you talked about how how much Mikuru is is bullied and abused in these episodes. But I mean, a big part of it, and it's it's core to her character. But she because she's so upset because she's constantly like yeah. tearing up and crying and trembling and humiliation. It's just like, man, this is and. This is a bummer to watch. And I know that, like... Well, men gawk at her, you know? That's, like, something that, yeah, she's been put put through a lot. And, like, just the, like... The way Haruhi just treats her in general, just, like, as, like, an object, kind of, like a doll, basically. Mm-hmm. Something about someone putting a contact in your eye is, like, the worst thing oh. I can think of. Like, that's, yeah. like, so crazy. Yeah. That's so personal. That's such a, like... Like I, uh, one time as like a, you know how like sometimes you can pick on a, well, I have, I have brothers and, uh, when I was a little kid, we would just like terrorize each other. And one time I would, I pranked my brother and I said, Hey, you have something in your eye. Like, but like, can I get it? Cause it's just like right there. And I feel like you're going to push it further in. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I just like poked him in the eye. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> I was like seven. I was like, oh, this is like just like just a little asshole, just being like, you're gonna you're gonna get it. Like, let me let me just get this real quick for you. He's like, okay, sure. Doink. Like, just like, right in his eyeball. I didn't have siblings. You know, I'm an only child, and yeah. I didn't have siblings growing up. But I did. The let crows me, were your siblings. The crows. The crows. I did like most only children hang out a bit with my cousins. You know. Mm-hmm. And I hung out with these two boy cousins uh, of of relatives of mine, and they were brothers. And I saw one of them do to the other one the grossest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'm just gonna tell you what it was. They yeah. were like fighting in the on the lawn, and they're like, you know, I don't know, five and seven or ten and eight. I don't know what their fucking ages were. 
but the, the smaller one gets the bigger one pinned down and the bigger one is screaming, get off me, get off me. And the little one puts his nose in his brother's mouth and blows his nose. In <laughs> oh, God. I hate that. Yeah. Little boys are the That's worst. Awful. We're the worst. That's disgusting. That's awful. That's so, but like the mind of a child to think of something like that. I know. Yes. It, 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 you have to sort of on some level give it up, but that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I made myself sick telling that story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, no, that's nasty. And let me guess that uh, that kid grew up to be the president of the United States. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One thing I do like, okay, I, I just to, to 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 say like the the thing. First off, you talked about it, it's it's great, it's well animated. Uh, to, you know, a, a show that's really great at using movement and color. It's 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 gorgeous. I think the. I, I like that Koizumi is mentally preoccupied by his role in the school play, and he, like, really wants to do a j good job in that, and he's trying to make his own role, like, smaller in his own way just because he has so many lines to remember. Like, I think it's kind of, I, like, I think that's kind of funny. I think that I like when we're getting Kion's kind of, like, subtly, we're kind of getting a little bit that he actually has a crush on, on Haruhi and is kind of like, you know, like, you could... Uh, that we get like just elements of that throughout uh, when he's talking about how like you know, if you just if you just ca carried yourself a little differently and approached that like you'd be as as cute as Miss Asahina uh, and I like that I, I'm more like broader more thematically anything across all these episodes and it makes me wonder if this comes from like a, like they're a take on a real you know person they've worked for of just how much Haruhi is like personifying a shitty director of just like yeah. has no empathy for anyone, uh, does not have any appreciation for you know what people want to do artistically or their comfort levels, does not understand the workload of people at all. When they're like, we shot so much today, what they were gonna do with that? She's like, oh, we'll just edit down later. It's like, yeah, an editor has to do that, and that's Keon, and she has she has no appreciation for that the labor intensity of that. And so I I kind of like the way that 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 she's characterized as like this megalomaniac who just does not understand that all this stuff this work has to be done by somebody okay okay oh hold on wait a minute though hold on mm -hmm. hey apodaca you, you you're aware of the kingdom hearts three is that there are elements of kingdom hearts three's secondary story which are a direct criticism of square enix by tetsuo nomura about uh, the um, way that Final Fantasy versus Thirteen was handled. Are you yes. aware of any of that? Yeah, I, I I do. I know this having not finished Kingdom Hearts three and having not played uh Thirteen. So, um, is it possible that what we are watching is anger about having made the Endless Eight? <laughs> That's interesting. Like, are, is because there's so much, Nick, I'd never thought of it that. Like, there, this is so pointed a criticism of the production process. Right. Is that, is it possible that that's what we're seeing? I think if it wasn't right after it, I might buy that theory more. But I think, if, like, if that, if the Endless Eight was season one and this is, this arc had come season two, 
But I think just coming immediately after afterward, you'd know it would have to be basically produced like right back to back. I think that I don't know if that's enough time to craft a response. Yeah. Or is yeah. it? Is it? But I don't know. The creator Maybe. giving himself a pass Oof. in a way to you know what I mean? Like oh, like I did. I made this thing. They're gonna say this about me. I'll make a thing that's critical of production or uh, or you know critical of uh, like auteurs or whatever. And uh, sure sort of give myself a, a free pass sort of yeah. thing. I'll get ahead of it, kind of. Could be. Could be. Her, her direction is so shitty. And then when, he, and like, like she doesn't, no, none, of her act, none of the actors know what they're supposed to be doing. And then when she tries to give them any sort of guidance, she's like, just do it. You know, like she doesn't have any way to, to commu- she, she's just so bad at communicating, um, but, you know, is un, un, unwilling to take any blame for, she's just like, that was a bad day of shooting. Uh so I don't know. I, I I like the way that that's characterized, and also her just like arbitrary like shifting of what movie they're making and what everyone's characters are and what the plot is like like from scene to scene. It's kind of funny that like most people who Haruhi interacts with that aren't in the SOS Brigade kind of just like oh, God, like <laughs> right. <laughs> it's her, or and then like everybody else kind of just like puts up with her in the in the group. But, uh, you know, two varying levels of distress, I'll say. Uh, like, obviously, um, Mikuru and um, uh, and Kion get, I think, the worst of it, right? Because uh, the rest of them are just sort of like, oh, Haruhi or uh, you're Yuki and you just don't say anything. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's interesting because, like, their responses don't necessarily tell how like what they're enduring yeah because koizumi's whole thing is just a smile through all of it and just to placate her and then yuki is like externally unflappable but internally we know certainly the endless age yes. took the brunt of it so i feel like i would be if i was friends with haruhi because you know i just would be okay i would be <laughs> i would be the koizumi of it all i'd just be like oh well that's just how she is she's just a pain in the ass but she's my pain in the ass yeah I guess we should talk about episode uh, episode three specifically, or I'm sorry, the Sai of Harui Suzumiya three specifically, yeah. episode 22, right? Is that right? That's 22, right, 22. Yeah. Wait, I'm sorry, Nick. What did you just say? Well, we we were, we were talking about episode, all that was coming in and talking about episode, all that was talking about uh, the Sai of Harui Suzumiya two, episode 21. I guess we should talk about 22. Through 22 specifically a little bit oh i felt i felt like i i'm sorry at the top of all that's what i thought you said I, at the top of all of this i kind of compressed all three of them into okay got it into yeah. a single summary um we see you know we see the uh the commercials being shot we see um uh mikuru getting her laser powers like i feel like yeah, I, I, I guess I, the laser powers actually happens, I think, in episode 22. So we have kind oh, of touched on that. Wait, did, hold on. God damn it. Right? Hold on one second. That sounds about right. Like, toward the end of 22 into Maybe. 23, they're like, dealing with this kind of. Oh, my God. Because I, I, I think in 21, the end of 21, she is when she gets a contact lens in. She's doing the, the you know, the, uh, the, the double uh, handgun shooting sequence. And then that leads into episode 22 at the top of the side of Haru Suzumiya 3, I think, is where she actually shoots the Mikuru beam. I think. Sorry, I closed my notes. It doesn't matter one, too much, I give guess. Me one, give me one second. Let me open yeah. my notes back up because I closed, I accidentally closed my notes and that's why I was uh, fumbling for a moment. 
didn't just close my notes. It's gone from my history. Sorry, guys. One sec. <clears throat> Please cut all this. Yeah, of course. Okay. <clears throat> well, why don't we just cut all that st- like stuff and just yeah. keep the yeah. conversation flowing? Because right, we great. don't need to get caught up in what episode we're in. For sure. Great. Uh, we have the Mikuru beam sequence. We have the, the shooting sequence. We have the Mikuru beam with a contact lens. We get to the pigeons, which we touched on. Uh, the pigeons are actually in the side of Harui Suzumiya 3, episode 22. And uh, that's the part where they're, yeah, they're just unpermitted at a monastery. Yeah. And they're, and they're <laughs> shooting it. And then a monk, like, runs up, like, angry. And Harui just starts shooting at him, like, with the BB guns. <laughs> I, I also but like. We, we also see the. Oh, go on. I I also like that Harvey's like we're gonna work all weekend. You're gonna edit this. Don't wor-. like. She keeps like dropping hints to Kion that he's gonna be the one who edits the entire thing, mm-hmm. and he's like, I don't know how to edit. What are you fucking talking about? Yeah. Um, we also there's what is the joke that he says after they leave the after they leave the uh, temple and then they return. He says something about being worried that that the temple guardians are going to know they're going to recognize those guys. I don't. Yeah, remember. I don't yeah. remember what it was specifically. The yeah, joke but was. Um, but we so this is the episode where we finally see Mikuru use the actual beam that burns grotesque burn marks into Yuki's hand, and then Yuki tackles uh uh Mikuru. And bites her, which is her way of injecting nanomachines into her bloodstream in order to stop her from making Mikuru beams. Like, it's pretty, I I mean. Yeah, it's cool. That stuff's cool. It's it's also funny because the show is on some level about two gods. It's about Haruhi being a god, but Yuki is also effectively a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can actually do things and be aware of it, but chooses not to do it yeah. because of the broader implications of what that would be. Yeah. Which is nice. That's how you'd want it to be. You don't want God just doing whatever the hell they want. It's true. Yeah. I also like there's there's a, you know, we talked about that, that or I talked about how we're kind of getting that Kion has like, maybe it's an unacknowledged crush on Haruhi. And like, I think there's also the part where I think, I think this is the episode where it becomes clear. And there's a Kion moment where he kind of has internalizes this of like, Haruhi should just be the lead in this movie. Cause she's like the, she is, has the kind of confidence to play this character that Mikuru, who is like completely lost. And also Haruhi knows what she wants. Yeah. But but you know she's uh, she's unwilling to take that role. I think because she wants to be like the more powerful person. But really, it would be a more appropriate use of her as like this kind of brash, cocky, uh, uh, unashamed character, uh, unashamed person uh, for her to be playing the the lead of this movie. There's anyway. Yeah, go on. There's one other thing that I when I was reading about these episodes after I I saw them. Uh, that's a bit of trivia on HaruhiFandom.com. Um, mm-hmm. which is that in episode 21, when Haruhi informs, here, I'll just read it verbatim here. When Haruhi informs the members of the SOS Brigade of their roles, Kion does a monologue questioning if it's his fault. This is likely to a, likely a reference to his telling Haruhi about the identities of the members 
in next week's episodes. And the Mm. light novel makes it explicit that this is what Keon is referring to. What's interesting about that is it means that the monologues that Keon is having that we are hearing in present tense have to be his recollections from several episodes, if not years later. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, Yeah, it does. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know. There's there's still, like Matt said at the beginning of the episode, there's, it's executing on a premise. Well, it's just not enjoyable. I agree. It's a, it's a bummer and it's so lethargically paced that it's just like, and yeah, and then she's fucking hitting. She's like just hitting uh, with her speaker, with her, with her bullhorn. She's just hitting Mikuru on the head. Yeah. That would really hurt. That'd fucking be awful. Yeah, I feel like it wouldn't hurt that bad. That's like a little cone, like just like a little rubber cone. It's not like a megaphone. It would hurt so bad. Those things can be kind of, those things are, have some substance to them. They I would, like if somebody hit me with that, plastic material. I'm like a pretty tough guy. Yeah. If somebody hit me with that, I would probably cry. I don't think I'd cry. It seems like she's hitting her really lightly. I mean, I don't want, I don't, I'm not trying to justify anybody hitting anybody. But, you know. Heather likes hitting. That's not. <laughs> I like combat. It's different. <laughs> I don't know that I have much more to say about these three episodes. Other than just yeah, like by the, the... the vague sense of <sighs> dissatisfaction and and like melancholy that I feel towards them. Well, by the end of these episodes, we are getting, we are introducing the, uh, you know, or reintroducing some more classmates who become a bigger part of the next sequence of episodes. Uh, but in particular, and I can't remember, the, I should have the character's name up, but in particular, there's the uh, the female classmate who has uh, uh, Asahina employed at the cafe during the festival, mm-hmm. and she, like, seems to really revel in you know, like, 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 like Haruhi is using her as a means to an end, but, but she actually gets like sadistic pleasure out of Mikuru being tormented. And as such, uh, that sets up where we're, we're going the next couple episodes. Well, yeah, that's, um, that's Sururia. Is that how you say her name? Um, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. She also has like kind of vampire teeth. And you expect, and you expect her to have like maybe to be revealed as a vampire or something later, but nothing ever comes of it. Uh, Tanaguchi and uh, Kunikita, who are Kion's friends, are also um, starting to be featured in these episodes because they they come back in the next in the next two. Uh, Tsuruya, yes, is is. Uh, ostensibly Mikuru's best friend, according to the wiki, and I got her confused with Ryoku, who is the uh, the alien who Yuki disables. The alien robot. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. It's a real... It's a real... I, I, I'm excited to see the movie at the end of all this because I, do, I, I don't... I'm pretty sure I just never watched it because I kind of was let down by the season. But I wonder if this is all building, if, if this is all backstory to something that's going to happen in a movie, in which case I'll look yeah. back on it and be like, wow, it was all justified. <laughs> Maybe the movie's rad. We're going to find out. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But next week, we'll be talking about episodes 
23 and 24 as we're wrapping up yep. the Sai of Haruhi Suzumiya 4 and 5 and wrapping up season 2. Anyway, those were our thoughts on episodes 20, 21, and 22. But last week, we wrapped up Endless 8. Episodes 17, 18, and 19 uh, of the series. And uh, we're going to hear your reactions to those right now. It's time for the chain reactions of Harui Suzumiya, Blue Talk. Wow. Oh, that's good. All right, this first one is from David Mucci. That's enough. The Mooch. <laughs> What's up, Mooch? What's up, Mooch? Uh, three quick thoughts. One, I want a Mad Libs of Asahina's classified information monologue. That's funny. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. good. Fill in whatever you want. Uh, two, chlorine only has a smell when it reacts to urine. Haruhi getting to the public pool and commenting on the smell of chlorine, then jumping in and saying it feels so warm, increasingly grossed me out through the ar- this arc. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> that is nasty. So she jumped in and enjoyed no. pee pool like yeah. 15,000 times. <laughs> God damn it. And then three, the final joke of the arc is perfect. Oh. Well. Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess sure. if we, uh, you know, way to put a capstone on it. If we're loose, we're loose with what uh, the word joke is. Yeah, <laughs> and and Lord knows you two are. So okay, okay you know what, Heather? How dare you? <laughs> wow, do you see what happened there, Nick? I set my own trap. <laughs> uh, this next one's from Lark. Hi, Lark. Uh, hi, Lark. Lark. What was that, Nick? Lark. It was, it was Lark. It's Lark. It's like, well, I just like, you sounded like an NPC kind of like Lark. something. Yeah. Yeah. Is is it, uh, is Lark, Matt, is Lark spelled L-A-R-K or is it L apostrophe A-R-C? Hmm. Like Le-Ark. Uh, Are we talking bird or triumph? Uh, it is L-A-R-K. <laughs> Got it. Okay. L-A-R-K. What's, is there a significance to the other one? Well, it's a, that's the beginning of the name of a popular 90s Japanese band. Oh. So I was wondering, oh, is this a reference? No. Nope. I thought you were re- referencing Lark de, de Triumph. The insult I, comic oh dog? Yeah. Oh, my God. For me like to round... poop on. <laughs> oh, no. For no. me to gray poop on. Uh, uh, honestly, up there with Bender, one of the funniest characters ever. <laughs> Very so funny. Fu- so funny. I love seeing yeah. him. It's well, what's great about Triumph is the speed with which he replies the funniest joke of all time. Yes. When communicating with a regular person. Yeah. The fact that he just has him, it, but then also that paired with how shitty of a puppet he is is so funny. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> yeah. like it's the whole thing is perfect. It's really, really good. Um, but Lark writes. I, I worked. Uh, I've worked with a um, couple people, a few people who worked with Smigel and uh, worked with them on Triumph. And the one behind the scenes thing. I mean, I've heard some stuff, but one behind the, the scenes thing I'll share is that when he's gonna go, like, okay, Triumph is gonna go talk to Rudy Giuliani. He just like sit, like he just like it gets so Smigel gets so like nervous and upset that he has to do it. He's like, "Fuck, I don't. Let's not do it. This is I don't want to do it." Like he's just like <laughs> just talking himself out of it for like a half hour, and then I was like, 
they're about out of time. He's like, all right, fuck it, let's go. And then he just, <laughs> he just goes in and does it. But and I can just, see it because, like, you basically have to go up and be like, hey, sorry, I have this puppet. The puppet's going to talk to you and he's going to say mean things to you, you know? Yeah. And, and also, and, you're and, one of the worst people that's ever lived. Uh. Right. But it's not always like, but it's, it's yeah. like, okay, this guy's going to be mad at me. If he's an asshole, he's going to yell at me and I'm going to have to deal with that. Or if it's a normal person, I'm going to be mean to a civilian. So yeah. either way, it's just like a thing that, like, you don't want to have to deal with. But it's, it's tough. The, uh, also, like, Cross having you to remember to, like, open and close your thumb and, and fingers. That's a lot of work. That's true. I can't yeah. do it. I'm trying yeah. to do it as I talk right now. I'm failing. Uh, try, yeah. try Nick, grab, put your own hand out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Triumph often doesn't move at all. It's just, like, like stationary on screen. Yeah. <laughs> but bangers. Absolute bangers. He doesn't miss. Are we still on Lark's question? We yeah, are. We're having Sorry, a, we, we, we haven't done some tangents. Sorry, Lark. <laughs> yeah, we went on this whole thing about Lark did triumph, and then I said, for me to poop on, and it was, you know, now oh, here yeah, we yeah. are. Okay, okay, okay. If uh, someone hadn't asked how his name was spelled, yeah, we yeah, wouldn't maybe. even have gone on this, <laughs> down this rabbit hole. So, I think you know. people are going to be very happy they heard a little bit about triumph. Everybody yes. loves triumph. Everybody loves him. <laughs> He's funny. Uh, but Lark writes, I can't, Hi, be I can't Hi, believe... I can't believe we made it here. What a journey. At the end, I disliked it as much as I did when, I fr when it first aired. Insane. <laughs> when I first watched it, this, that's really funny. Yeah, when I first watched this, I was in high school. Now I've been pract practicing law for almost a decade. Woof. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's ridiculous. I wonder if Life's Lark crazy. thinks this, this should be illegal. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe that's why he went into, or they, yeah. she, them yeah. maybe that's why they went into law yeah maybe they, uh they're working on a class action lawsuit for those affected by the endless eight arc of the melancholy of haruhi <laughs> suzumiya you too could be owed money um uh and then lark they're also Giuliani's defense lawyer <laughs> <laughs> yeah lark's like one time triumph just made my best friend and boss look like a complete maroon uh uh Lark also says, while I have your attention, I wanted to mention that the new Adult Swim Superman show is anime as hell. I'm not really a Superman Whoa. guy and have a superhero fatigue like everyone else, but this show has everything. Faux anime OP, Clark Kent magical girl transforming into Superman, the occasional chibi expressions, anime-ass fight scenes, and Jimmy Olsen's and a Jimmy Olsen character that's actually likable. It's basically a rom-com that quickly disposes of the boring Superman tropes, and I think that's cool. Wow. Huh. My Adventures with Superman, is this the show? That's right. Cool. Yeah, I'll maybe, I'll, I'll, maybe that, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. That comment made me more interested. I I, I wasn't looking for a Superman show, uh, but now that this one has a ringing endorsement from uh, lawyer to the uh, mayor of New York, uh, Rudy Giuliani, I, I'm listening. Jack Quaid is Clark Kent. That's cool. great. That's good casting. That's really good. Man, that, uh, it, it's so funny that DC is having so much trouble making movies, but they fucking consistently have banger animated shows. The comics are great. And then once in a blue moon, they have something like The Suicide Squad. Like, it's, it's just, it's shocking to me. Like, growing up, I always felt like DC was like the primary colors 
and Marvel was like the complementary colors. Mm, sure. You know, and it's strange to be an adult in a world where Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, like, and mm-hmm. all of their respective villains aren't the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's crazy that Iron Man had a, a full, like, 15-year run. Iron Man! Yeah. It's staggering to think about. Yeah, because, like, I I used, you know, this is a completely different podcast, but, like, I, you know, grew up liking superheroes and, like, in comic book characters and things like that and wanting to see these movies being made. And now that they're being made en masse, like, it is crazy that there isn't a connective tissue between, there or there, there was briefly one between, like, Batman, Superman, all those guys. Because those were my guys. Those yeah. are the ones I think that are more inter- they're more interesting, I think. They're like, I don't know. There's like there's more going on there. But then you also, have these ones that like and I also love X-Men and Spider-Man and stuff. Those are my guys. But the fact that there's too many of those and not enough of these other ones is is shocking. It's a it's, imbalance. It doesn't make yeah, sense. It's also crazy that like Batman was like the big first comic book movie. Yes. You know? I mean, I guess you had the uh, what do you call it the the Superman movies with oh, yeah. um yeah that's true but those were like in it, the in Richard it, Donner ones yeah, yeah yeah and those sort of did legitimize that as a thought right like that like yeah oh you could make you could translate these pretty easily but like you know Batman was silly on TV first right like like and, and I'm sure there were other examples of their adapting these characters in on television first but yeah as movies. I feel like, you know, those probably, the Superman ones did well, but, like, the Batman one really did sort of, like, make a make a statement. And then they yeah. all sort of, like, followed suit after that for a little bit. But Batman was the guy for a little while. Like, he, well, there wasn't one, another one until probably Blade that was, like, significant. Yep. Yeah, I, and then the, the X-Men movies, obviously, and the, yeah. the Raimi Spider-Mans. But I, I think the... It's, it's, it's a Batman stuck around. Like, it feels like every Batman thing, unless you, you want to count, uh, the, the Keaton in Batman and the Flash against, uh, the franchise, it feels like the Bat- Batman's has staying power. That Batman's the one DC property they've kind of figured out. Everything else is just like they're, they, they can't make it a work. Bit. Yeah. Like, cause, and, yes, yeah, Superman's and, omnipotent. <clears throat> right. So, like, that doesn't, like, that's not interesting, right? Like, to watch him sort of be a guy that can do anything anytime. Like, uh, he's Haruhi Suzumiya. It is so clear to me how to make a Superman movie, and I don't understand. Well, you fucking do it, all right? Well, you make no, a movie. You make your it's, Superman it's movie, this. Heather. It's just this. It's just scab. He he has to <laughs> like. I'm not scab. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. I don't think <laughs> no. this is scabbing. No, like, I'm just me kidding. Pontificating. No, like it is. It's just funny to say. Superman's existence is a nonstop trolley problem. Yeah, like. He he has to because he can hear everything and get anywhere, but cannot save everybody. He has to constantly make decisions about who lives mm-hmm. and dies. And that is the drama of being Superman. It's just that like, like you like the dude can be like goodness, but he cannot actually be both in Los Angeles, New York, and Afghanistan all at the same moment. So somebody is going to die on his watch. And then it's like, well, what what is the grief and what is the 
the yeah the psychology of somebody who has the power to save people and has to choose. And instead they keep fucking making these like dumbass Superman movies where he's like punching the same dude over and over again. And that guy's like, you can't kill me, Clark. And then he does. Right. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that no, I think that's that's really well argued, and I've heard people make similar things about it, like ma- tackling a Superman video game is like the whole thing is just like they did, did it. it, they got yeah, it. They 64. did it. Superman sixty four is good, but I mean, if they want to make another one as good, just the <laughs> idea of making it less like, hey, player death is the the thing, but like is is not the consequence as it is in most games. It's like civilian death. It's like yeah. how do I solve how do I solve problems. If I myself am indestructible and all powerful, yeah. Uh, but how do I use the? How do I maximize those abilities? I think if you do some of that, you and and, and then also, uh, you bring back uh, this song, then you're golden. Okay, so this is where I do have to confess that I am younger than you guys. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> this is the love theme from Super Love theme from Superman. Okay. And I think it's like kind of written from Lois's perspective. So the lyrics are like Can you read my mind? Like it's like she's yeah. trying to understand what Superman is as she's fallen for this I, crazy I alien. Like anyway, it's a great song. You know, this movie came out before I was alive. And I feel like that song like my earliest memories of ever hearing that song is a grocery store. Like, yeah, I'm, right. I'm in like a shopping cart with my legs dangling. My mom is pushing me around. The best. She's, get, she's getting Malto meal and I'm hearing that song and it just keeps like every time I'm in the grocery store, they're playing that song. Even though it's not like it, it, it's the way that songs in grocery stores are like about 15 years later. You know, like they're not playing Taylor Swift right now at the grocery store. No, right? No, they had. So, yeah. So, so there's like a fifteen or or fifteen year lag is my is my estimate. So that like when you're an adult and you're in a grocery store, you're like, oh shit, these are the songs from the the early two thousands. I and then it makes you feel good because now you have purchasing power and you're more likely to buy more stuff because it's your songs from when you were young. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's how I'm, I know oh. that song, Matt. It's, look, it's a certified banger. An absolute heater. <laughs> it was good. Here I am like a kid at the school holding hands with a god or a fool. Wait, <laughs> is that the lyric? Yeah. Like a kid out of You think Nick just made that up? <laughs> holding hands with a god? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's anime. That's the most anime thing I've ever heard. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, let's just do. Um, I have three like kind of quick ones, rapid fire. All right, great. All right. This next one is from Dean Loud and Clear, our friend. Hi, Dean. Dean Loud and Clear, What's DLC up, name. Um, Ivana Trump is buried. <laughs> Ivana Trump is buried on one of Donald Trump's golf courses. The accusation is that. It entitled him to tax breaks because he can claim the land as a cemetery. <laughs> Which we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We we're yeah. trying to figure out why that's like why he did that and like why he's so weird. 
Okay, great. And yeah. so we that's like well, I guess the thought is is that I'm gonna get a huge tax break for burying my ex what dead wife from the pizza yeah, what, commercials. Why did he do that for the funniest reason? Yeah, because he's like, oh, because I want to get a tax a break. fucking psychopath. Yeah. I, I want to. I I I wonder if by the time this episode is out, if we will have a Donald Trump mugshot and. Who will be making more money selling it on T-shirts, the Trump campaign or the Biden campaign? Trump yeah, campaign for sure. They, so, uh, they've already been raising money off of doctored mugshots. They're going to be over the moon to have an actual yeah. mugshot. Well, God, while we're on this, my mom the other day texted me uh, roasting the storm because called it was called Hurricane Hillary over here. <laughs> and she was like, don't worry, there will probably be a Trump hurricane at some point and i was like the difference there would be that his followers would walk straight into a hurricane (laughs) (laughs) if they it's branded with him but uh we didn't pursue that conversation much further um uh this next one is from uh this one's from zach folkman the folkman the folkman what's up folkman uh if he was in um uh, Death Stranding, his mm. thing would be that he has like a lute or like a, you know, right. like a, a little yeah. like acoustic guitar. Cute guitar, yeah. It'd be like, have you ever heard of Bob Dylan? Do yeah. you know that between the <laughs> years of 1968, <laughs> yeah. like fucking like encyclopedia entries as, yeah. as dialogue? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so where's my dumb. 15 kg of manga? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to check there you off. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I right, take these ceramics. Yeah. Uh, so Zach writes, there is something about these episodes that remind me of the slow burn horror movies that I like. Each mm. episode builds this weird, boring tension, and when Kion finally breaks the loop, it feels like a real relief. Don't get me wrong. I'll probably never watch all of these again, but I liked them, and I'm glad I watched. Yeah. I like the experience of having watched it and being yes. gradually driven insane. I think that... I mean, we've 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 litigated this at this point, but I just... I think they could have made the same point with three or four episodes yeah i agree i'm glad they did eight (laughs) it's funnier that they did eight it's funny that they did eight yeah it's funny that they did eight like like burying your wife on your golf course for a trap for a tax break (laughs) that's like it's like as funny as that at least but not as funny as triumph no uh this last one is uh is by is from rob kirwan hi rob Hello, Rob. What's up, Rob? So, I, wa- I, I 100% was drained by the end of this. Totally did other things while the episodes were on. There weren't enough changes to have me invested fully. I'm not all that sold on Melancholy. It's definitely made better watching it along with you three, but not a show for me if I were to just watch it alone. And hey, that's fair. Yeah, that's totally mm. fair. Hopefully, Hopefully we watch a show that's for everybody at some point. A show I, for everyone. We're going to talk about the movie um, when we get to it. And, you know, we've obviously got some more, uh, a little bit more to get through here. Uh, the So before we close the book on the series, I won't get my, my final assessment. But I do kind of land in both camps of like, this is for me, but, I, but also kind of is, is a little bit of a frustrating watch. Yeah. And I think because there's stuff that's like so cool and other stuff that's like, why did you do this? You know, and endless eight, obviously the biggest example. 
the cool stuff in theory should outweigh the stuff about it that sucks, right? Or that you know, right. I don't even go as far to say that stuff about it sucks, but like the cool stuff doesn't outweigh the frustrating parts. It sort of just like evens the scale a little bit. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't like fully tip it in one way or the other. Um, except you know, we'll we'll talk later, of course, but um. That's that's my take for right now. I think Live Alive is one of the best episodes of anime ever made. And it's hard. It's hard not to be like, look, subject me to the endless eight in order to give me Live Alive. Sure. It's so fucking good. It's what it's it's an unfathomable banger of an episode. Mm-hmm. Great. It app. does. It has no business being in a show that also subjects you to eight of the same episode. <laughs> it's, you know what? Maybe it's just like it's, it's, there's a dividing line between season one and season two. And if you just watch season one, you'd be like, hey, this is fucking awesome. And then you watch season two, it's like, yep. oh boy. Uh, but that's it for the uh, chain reactions of the melon. Wait, is that what it is? Yeah. The chain yeah. reactions of Haruhi Suzumiya. Blue talk. Blue talk. Okay. All right. Well, look, we got a couple more episodes from season two. You got to animated. Get to. You got animated, Nick. Well, I was going to say tee up over. I guess people know what we're watching. We're watching the final two episodes of season two next week. I got animated. 